Broadcasting on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show, brand new to you holiday edition. That's right. We do brand new interviews that you have not heard. We air them over the holidays. It's our gift for you. You guys love it, so we keep doing it. And so you're welcome. There you go. Uh, Today is going to be a freaking hoot uh, because I have I've got just two guests back to back connected through one of the greatest TV shows of all time, both excelling as well even afterwards in their own realms of their specialized field. The first one joining me is Bill Corbett. Bill, of course, was on Mystery Science Theater 3000. He played Brain Guy, was the voice of Crow towards the end of the season. Then after that, he, Mike Nelson, and Kevin Murphy joined together, formed Rift Tracks, and they have been going gangbusters ever since. They're hilarious. It is an absolute privilege to welcome Bill Corbett to the show for this half hour. Hey, Bill. Hey, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing very well. I, I've, I've, it is such an honor to chat with you because not not only with the MST3K connection, but you guys, Rift Tracks, how many years have you done Rift Tracks now? We started in uh, 2006, and yeah, to my surprise, it's... Uh, it can. It's old enough to drive a car now. I mean, <laughs> almost old enough to vote. Oh, oh wow! Seventeen years. Uh, it, you guys are as popular as ever. I loved when the Samsung Channel had you guys on a twenty-four hour channel. I left it on all the time, and just my wife said she'd walk past the stairs and hear me down going da <laughs> just every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and did she like a lot of uh, partners of Rift Tracks fans go? Oh, brother, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> well, but to be honest, and I'm going to call them all out because uh, there are more than a few times. She she was downstairs watching and laughing too. So as much oh, as good. they like to eye, eye roll, the reality is Rift Tracks is brilliant. We'll get to get to a little bit about Rift Tracks here, but let's let's back up a little bit and and go back to you on MST3K. Talk about joining that show and your history there, taking it up to the end with the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, and I I know your second. You don't mind me saying who your second guest is, do you? Not at all. Okay. Well, it's Trace, uh, Bill Yu, who's a friend and the guy that I took over for with this, not only the same show, but the same character. Uh, we were both played Crow T. Robot, and he's brilliant. He's, uh, you know, he played uh, one of the mad scientists to start the show. And I think he is undersung in his, um, just like in the way that he, his spirit and his work kind of infused the beginning of the show he's like an uh, he's a very modest guy but he's a unsung hero of it but i uh, came on as a writer first um and it was while they were making the mystery science theater movie um they kind of needed some people to staff and i had known a lot of the people there some of them had taken classes with me which sounds weird but i was teaching screenwriting and playwriting in town so I knew a couple of the writers through that in the local comedy scene. Um, so I just asked if I could sit in one day, and it was a real match. Like I, I, I seem to be good at sitting on my butt and making jokes at movies. <laughs> <laughs> what a skill! And um, so I got along with them. And then you know when they needed writer, they called me in for. So I overlapped with Trace just a little bit during that time as a writer. But then when they rebooted the show really didn't reboot it it was just it was just change networks um and i was out in la working as a screenwriter at the time uh working as a screenwriter hoping to mm-hmm. um i came back to minnesota because i got the call like if you want a job uh, it's yours 
Uh, and I still, I was still just a writer at that point. They weren't sure what they were going to do with Trace's character because he was moving on. So I basically auditioned in the little kitchenette <laughs> you know, of the of the office with the, the puppet and made funny voices. And they said, "All right, pick up that puppet. We start Monday." <laughs> I took Crow home over the weekend and practiced, but I was I was not good at first. I was not a puppeteer, uh-huh. and it was a complex puppet. Um, and Trace was so deft at at you know by that time uh, making him alive, and it's like. I made a joke once that has stuck with fans, like, well, Crow T. Robot had a stroke for a while and had to recover. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was a little hard. <laughs> but eventually I got into it, and then, yeah, it was so much fun. I had a great time doing that show. So you guys, you, you finish up at, uh, it, at, at Sci-Fi Channel. Um, you and I talked one time in regards to the, it kind of felt like the end. I mean, stuff was being sold off. It was kind of the end of it. Yeah. At, at what time did, did, when did you and Mike and Kevin sit down and say, you know what? You know, you guys were the core of the show at that point when it didn't mm-hmm. finish up. At what point did you say, you know, maybe it's time for us to revisit this and do this on our own? Um. We were thinking of ways to work together, like, right off the bat. And we did have a couple of other little ventures with sci-fi.com, the, the you know, such, such an early website <laughs> prototype. Mm-hmm. We, so we did, a, like, a little animated a parody of Lord of the Rings for them. Um, then we started, a uh, like, a humor website of our own. But this is, like, ancient history now. This is, like web 1.0 and uh it was right it was terrible timing it was about six months before the whole thing crashed you know with pets.com and all that was the first (laughs) big wave of disaster for the internet financially so you know we put out this uh humor website for a while got covered in newsweek and spin magazine and but we really just couldn't make much money from it so we kind of said we politely let it go um and then I went back out to California and was working a little bit there. But we, I don't know, we, we had an early, we had a, a like a version of a movie riffing thing that started, it was called The Film Crew, and we released a couple of, um, a couple of shows. And it was fun, but we ran into some legal snafus with the previous producer of Mystery Science Theater for stealing the concept, and that was a little ugly, but... Uh, then we just decided to do this very stripped down thing where we would just make commentary over contemporary movies, you know, and then just release commentary as an MP3. Um, so that's how it started, restarted, I guess. It was very much like, hey, here's that MP3. You can play along with the movie with us knuckleheads making jokes over it. Um, and then it became, it, it sort of, reverted back to some of the older movies like the uh stuff we could get the rights for so it wasn't just a sound thing it was a video on demand mm-hmm. and that's kind of the model we've uh followed, followed since then a mix of those two things plus occasional live shows that we broadcast through fathom events um which also does like uh, broadcast from the opera and some sporting events yeah. and drumline and did horribly did Glenn Beck's live Christmas show once. Uh, <laughs> lately has been doing a lot of classic movies 
it's been very successful. People just want to get together and see like great movies that they've never seen in a theater with people, you know, digitally restored. And so that's a lot of what they're doing now. You guys, and we should mention you are doing this. You don't, you've got plans in the works maybe for one later coming up in 2024. So people should be paying attention. You yeah. need to go to rifttracks.com, rifttracks.com. And I'll link to all of this uh, after the show so that people can find this. And, and obviously you keep them up to date because I love the concept you've come to because you know, it was interesting that in the COVID world and you came back from the COVID world, you came up with the idea of, as opposed to going to crowded theaters in every town and really catching something, you do one theater and then you broadcast it nationally. And I think I think that that's a, a real smart way to do it because, I mean, it is live at that point. And so everyone feels like they're involved. Yeah, and we can reach uh, hundreds of movie theaters. And it's usually about 700 or thereabouts, you know, give or take a couple of dozen theaters that broadcast it. And we were doing it in Canada for a while, too, but that somehow that didn't keep going. Canadians were less than charmed. Um, but we, you know, and then people in different cities and communities around the country who love our weird stuff, and there are like, it is sort of a an enduring fan base, which we're incredibly lucky for, of course, um, can sort of find each other and, you know, pre-game or post-game or, um, so that, yeah, it's been really great. We, we broadcast out of Nashville and that's just fathom events. When we first did our live shows, did our first live show in 2009, they hooked us up with this production uh, company there called Camp Digital, which does <clears throat> a lot of musical events. So they were equipped to do this. They do like live concerts and stuff. Um, and so we they found a little artsy movie theater there that we around the Vanderbilt campus that we've been uh, doing it from mostly ever since we've come up here and we did it at the State Theater in Minneapolis, did it in California once. But that place in Nashville is where the the, the production crew is, so it's very easy. <laughs> yeah, you. I one of the things I like that you've also done. Uh, you got Bridget and Mary Jo doing riffs, which are very funny. Yeah, um, and you've you've brought back a lot of people too at times on some of your live shows. You know, there there is a family here, and there there are two elements of this which I think come into this why your popularity is still there, and that is one, you're just damn funny. I mean, that's that's let's at the end of the day, you guys are hilarious. But at the same time, it's it's there is a familiarity to characters that you've seen over time and personalities. And as you talk about with Trace and the way that jokes are delivered and stuff, you get familiarized with it. For God's sake, how many years has Frazier been on now? <laughs> you get familiarized <laughs> with it. The reality is the reason why is people like that. People like the, the comfort of going back to an old friend and seeing them do what they do. I think so. And, you know, for some of us, for, you know, given the age that we're generally at now, a lot of us, it's like they knew us as kids or, or young people. And I don't know, we, we, I am incredibly, I feel incredibly grateful and flattered that so many people have stuck with us over the years. And it's not a, you know, it's not that critical mass of like superstardom that could fill an arena necessarily. Although we did fill the state theater, and I, I'm was proud of that. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, it's, um, yeah. I mean, the people have kind of like grew up with it or passed it to their kids. So we get like a lot, a lot, like a huge range of ages from people some slightly older than older than us to like you know teenagers. Um, 
Um, I don't know what to say except knock wood. It's I mean uh, I'm a lucky I'm a lucky guy. And yeah, I think the fact that the show started in Minnesota with people who are generally speaking, I'll be very general here, not super ambitious in Hollywood, like <laughs> it makes it offbeat and feel kind of homey, and it always sort of has. Um, and it's just I don't know. We've been so lucky over the years in getting like the original crew. For Mystery Science Theater was so talented. Like I said, Trace, I think, is kind of uh, the secret sauce that made the show work to begin with. Well, Trace, and also, made your characters. If I can step in here really quick, also, bad movies do a lot to this. Now, uh, first thing here, I just want to mention before we go to the break rifttracks.com, rifttracks.com. You can find all the stuff there uh, about all the movies, and they are fantastic. Uh, we'll take a break and come on back, and we're going to dive into. Um, some of the worst movies, the holiday movies that you've been dealing, dealing with. Bill Corbett joining us from Rift Tracks. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It's the Matt McNeil Show, brand new to you over the holidays. Hope you're having a wonderful holiday out there. Bill Corbett from Riff Tracks and MST3K is kind enough to join us for this half hour to talk about riffing on movies and the, the history he's had here. I should mention, though, uh, people, if they want a taste of Riff Tracks, your YouTube channel right now is a, a great place for people to go and they can see exactly what you guys are doing. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, free stuff there that you can just watch that we've released over the years or over this year especially. So uh, go and check it out. There's a lot of stuff there. Just you riff tracks, YouTube, search, you'll find it. R-I-F-F-T-R-A-X. R-I-F-F-T-R-A-X. Riff tracks on YouTube. Enjoy. You're, you're going to laugh. You'll have a good time. All right. So ever since some sinister evil plot with the devil concurred, uh, <laughs> the, apparently there have been chewing out holiday movies. I, I'm, I'm stunned. I mean, I think the holiday movies themselves must keep Hollywood afloat. Uh, during the year because they make so many of them. And reality, most of them are just plain garbage, correct? And I'm not crazy on that one, right? No, I don't think you are. I mean, I, I know there's a whole <clears throat> genre now of like Hallmark Christmas movies that I have not ventured into much, uh, really at all, that has a whole like template to it. Like somebody comes back to their hometown and finds the guy that they left behind, you know. And it's all very Courier and Ives. But the ones that are on the Rift Tracks site are the weird ones. Like, the what were they thinking and why did they add, you know, why did they give Santa a rocket ship and a cowboy sidekick kind of thing? <laughs> people well, people trying to, like, add their own little bits of mythology to some standard stuff, you know, like standard Santa stuff to... They think it's interesting, and it's it just turns out weird. Well, and it does, the, You, as you say that, I mean, there is this, like, you've brought someone from Uzbekistan, you the top director from <laughs> Uzbekistan, and you say, who's never seen anything with Christmas, and so you need to make a Christmas movie. Oh, is it like the the, the Harvest Festival? Sure. And off you go. And <laughs> it's it, America, so I put cowboy in it. <laughs> See? Merry Christmas. Uh, yeah. of, of the ones you have watched, is there one particular holiday movie that just stands out and you said, how in the world did this even get made? Oh, my goodness. So many choices. <laughs> I just want to say one thing about the fact that you said the movies are kind of like the thing 
at the end of the last segment. They are really like we we are. I'll give us plenty of credit. I have an ego, but really the movies are as much a character as anything. And like half of our job is curating good, weird stuff to present. You know, stuff that would be kind of funny, probably even if it's on, it was on its own. But we try to add that extra bit of magic. Um, probably the one that is the most popular weird one for us is Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. Um, it was made right. in the early 70s at a place called Pirate's World in Florida, that Christmas haven. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the prim- and Pirate's World was sort of like a you know an amusement park or a con- concert venue. Um, that I think it, it didn't last long, probably killed a bunch of people <laughs> too on their rides. But um, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny has uh, Santa stuck on the beach, uh, unable to get his sleigh gone. His reindeer have, uh, have disappeared or something. And there's a character called the Ice Cream Bunny who was invented, I think, for the amusement park, who's this terrifying giant rabbit uh, in a suit, like a rabbit suit guy. Who, who looks all wrong. It just looks like, oh, my God, that's not, that is not uh, warm-hearted or, I don't know, it, it just it looks like it melted sort of in the sun, but it's like six feet tall. <laughs> um, and somehow th- within that, there's a little fairy tale segment they did about Thumbelina. Um, it's incoherent. It's nuts. There's a gorilla that comes to the beach to try to pushes Santa's sleigh, um, and you do feel like somebody was on the influence of hard narcotics here. <laughs> well, it is Florida. I mean, yeah. They could just basically eat or drink anything, and they basically be high for a month. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. – I, 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 that that someone put that out there, and obviously you can kind of look at something as like, okay, did the the amusement park kind of push this, and is the star his daughter, that sort of thing? But yeah, all but, those things, and the answer is usually, you know, probably yes. <laughs> but there also is this point where there is someone who's supposed to be an external mind who's supposed to be quality control per se. And they basically, that's the person who's, who's, who's knocking back the meth, you know, because you know, yeah. that's, 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 at some point you, you would look, it's like, sir, with all due respect, your daughter's a lovely person. You do not want to do this, but Nope. They're yeah. like, yeah, green light. Let's go. This will follow her to the end of her day. This humiliation. Don't do this to your beloved child. The, the 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 contrived nature of it. I mean, and like you said, there there's a lot of people that do this sort of thing that try to make themselves look witty when they make these movies. Uh-huh. I mean, that's this is why you guys are brilliant. You guys are actually witty, and so it's you you. popping someone's bubble who basically thinks, you know, they've done something good when they should themselves be able to look in the mirror and say, my God, I need to fix my life. (laughs) So you guys, you're almost doing a public service here. I like to think so, Matt. I mean, we're not going to fix our lives, of course, (laughs) but they should. Yeah, and you have things like... um, just try because Christmas is so ubiquitous and people get together and watch media together. And like you said, it's like, there's so, there's so much, so many Christmas offerings. Like sometimes it's the, 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 the attempt to find a new angle on things. Like we have one called Santa's summer house that was filmed in a, in a big mansion in, in uh, not Santa Monica, but Oh um, yeah. Somewhere out in California there. Um, and it basically is what it says, but it stars a bunch of 
aging martial arts stars for some reason, <laughs> and they can't act. And, it's, and, you know, it's basically like this bunch of people get caught in a fog and they find themselves, oh, it's Malibu, yeah, a Malibu house, and they basically have Christmas during the summer. It's like, who's looking for that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I will say, too, you do occasionally go and get the classics, and you take them to town a little bit. You have done It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, special Rift Tracks edition, I would highly recommend people go see that. Uh, it, it is there. But, I mean, it's that's got to be actually a little bit more of a challenge because that's actually a good movie. Yeah, we do We do those occasionally. We've done, uh, we call them a Rift Tracks challenge, like yeah. literally. Uh, we've done Casablanca. We've done like Indiana Jones movies. It's a, it is a challenge. We don't do it too much because uh, we, you just can't yell at the at the screen, you know, that it's like a bad movie. So you have to find almost like an affectionate roast, like what those Dean Martin roasts that used to happen. Like you have to kind of assume that people kind of know it and then go from there. We yeah. did it to the Wizard of Oz too. Like every other line in Wizard of Oz, people know so. It was a different a different approach. Uh, Rifftracks.com. Uh, so this holiday season, you want something to laugh at, that's a holiday thing, go to Rifftracks.com. Go look at their holiday. You can find their titles that they've all covered here. We've talked about that. Go to the YouTube channel. You can see the riffs there. Um, you know, Bill, all my best to, to, to Mike and Kevin. You guys are doing a great job. I love you. Thank God you're still doing what you're doing. You're keeping America sane, and uh, we need that right now. So thank you very much. I really appreciate the time today. Oh, thanks, Matt. Have a happy holidays to you and your family. Happy holidays. Bill Corbett from Rift Tracks and MST3K. We'll take a break. Come on back. Trace Bolu is going to join us when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show.